Tonight's scripture reading is from the prophet Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 4 and 8 to 11. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are the people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be back with you again. Um, we have had uh, a wealth of worship experiences already, and I'm really grateful for that. Uh, the well-known 20th century theologian Karl Barth uh, once said, what other time has the church than Advent? What other time has the church than Advent? The implication is it doesn't. We're always caught in some kind of Advent. I love this quote, not just because I am an advocate of Advent with its themes of waiting and longing, repentance and darkness, anticipation. But I also love it because it gets at this tension that pervades all of our life throughout the year, but especially in this season. It's a tension between light and darkness. It's a tension between war and peace. A tension between sorrow and joy, despair and hope. It's a season that is caught between the first advent Jesus' birth, and the second advent, his return in glory. It's a season when we hope for the impossible. When we seek peace while being bombarded. When we love while being hated. When we believe without seeing. You might think, well, that's what we're always supposed to do, hope and believe. Aren't there always bombs, hatred, sorrow, 
an absence of answers, yes. And that's why Bart says, this is our time. Theologian Fleming Rutledge puts it this way. The disappointment, brokenness, suffering, and pain that characterize life in this present world are held in dynamic tension with the promise of future glory that is yet to come. In that advent tension, the church lives its life. But often, this is what that tension feels like to me. It feels like the very act of surviving in this time of being caught between is like holding two city buses that are dangling over the edge of a bridge. The weight can feel unbearable. And as much as I've leaned on the dark side of this tension the last couple of weeks. It really is darkness and light that we are caught between. And the darkness and the light are accompanied by temptations. The temptation on the side of darkness is toward despair and just giving up. The temptation on the side of light is toward escape and ignoring the brokenness around us. Two weeks ago, I encouraged us to be willing to get down into the darkness, to look it in the eyes and not look away. Last week, I asked whether we could listen and learn from the often strange voices in the darkness. Even though those sermons focused on darkness and on our tendency to avoid it, we're still trying to hold on to the light. The point isn't to get down in the darkness and get comfortable with it to make it our home. The darkness is not our home. Even when it feels like we'll never get beyond it. And so today we're hearing more from the prophet Isaiah. We're continuing to listen to that voice crying out from the darkness. And in Isaiah's message we hear a way of hoping in the darkness. So let us begin with a prayer. God of hope, we want to be present in this moment, but we do not want to forget we are a people stretched through time toward the coming day of the Lord. Let us be found present on that day. Give us hope for that day. May your presence with us this day bear witness to that day. Amen.
our Advent theme of journeying through darkness requires us to have another one of Fleming Rutledge's concepts, what she calls apocalyptic transvision. Apocalyptic transvision. It's, it's, uh, it's academic and pedantic, but hang on just for a second. It's the ability to peer unwaveringly into the darkness and to see through. It's the transvision, to see through to light on the other side. It's the idea of taking so seriously the revelation, the apocalypse of Jesus coming, that we speak and act as if it is already a reality. Because it is. This is what Isaiah demonstrates for us in this passage. This is the gospel according to Isaiah. And we can say this because Jesus himself picks up this very passage in his first public appearance speaking in the synagogue. He quotes, reads from Isaiah 61 and claims, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He takes these words of Isaiah and says, this is who I am and this is what I've come to do. Isaiah is seeing through darkness into the light. As if the light has already dawned, even though it's still beyond the horizon. He speaks from the darkness to those who are still caught in darkness, even though they are poor, broken-hearted captives and prisoners. The year of the Lord's favor is somehow for Isaiah and the people a present and future reality. Now, the present reality is emphasized at the beginning of this passage and then again at the end. The anointed message is to go out now. It's to be heard by that very people still walking in darkness, still languishing in exile. So verse 1, proclaim good news to the poor now. Bind up the brokenhearted now. And then in verse 10, delight greatly in the Lord. Rejoice, be clothed with a garment of salvation now. These are literal words and actions, things that can be said and done in the present because of God's coming redemption. And then the future reality is emphasized in the middle of the passage. So verse 3 says, they will be called oaks of righteousness. Verse 4, they will rebuild ancient ruins. Verse 9, their descendants will be known among the nations. Isaiah shows us what it means to be a people stretched through time. 
who can look to the past and know, as verse 8 says, that the Lord loves justice. The Lord is faithful and has been faithful. And then we can be in the present, proclaimers of the Lord's faithfulness, even in the midst of darkness and exile, captivity and grief. And then we can also bear witness to a future day when the darkness will be eradicated once and for all. So the Episcopal priest and writer Tish Harrison Warren, she says Advent collapses time. The past, present, and future join together in a single season of waiting. And this kind of hoping in the darkness requires of us both word and action. Notice again in the text the alternation between words and actions. In the first two verses, proclaim good news and then bind up the brokenhearted. Proclaim freedom and release for the captives. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and then comfort and provide for those who grieve. It's both preaching and performing that we are called to. We're asked to be both advocates and agents. The proclamation and work of hoping in the darkness takes the form of all kinds of reversals. So last week I mentioned in John the Baptist's message It's essentially about a world being turned upside down. And that theme is right there in Isaiah chapter 40 with these mountains being brought low and these valleys being raised up. And then this passage, Isaiah 61, is filled to overflowing with reversals. Some of those are obvious and some are not. To bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. These are all pretty clear and obvious reversals. But the one that begins the passage is less obvious, less straightforward. Good news for the poor. See, our understanding of Poverty is inevitably colored by the economic forces of capitalism and our location in one of the richest countries in the world. We often see poverty as a state to be overcome with enough effort and perseverance and maybe a little good luck. You can get out of poverty. In the ancient world, most people lived quite closely to what we would call poverty, a kind of subsistence existence that relied on 
crops and weather and the support of a village in order to get by. In the ancient world, the poor were people with a status that could not be overcome. It was imposed on them. And in a way, generational, that's hard for us to understand. So what does good news mean for them? Well, in short, it means a wholly different world. It means such a radical transformation in this life that it would be barely recognizable to us as this world. Elsewhere in Isaiah, we get glimpses of this transformation. So in chapter 2, Isaiah says, the nations of the world will turn their swords into plowshares. Every weapon gets turned into a farming tool. And all of a sudden, there is no more war. And then in chapter 11, Isaiah gives us a picture of wolves and sheep living together. Of calves and lions lying down beside one another. Of a baby sticking its hand into the nest of a cobra with no danger. Then in chapter 35, deserts burst into bloom. The glory and splendor of giant trees and sweet-scented flowers and gently flowing waters appear where once there was nothing but sand and desolation. It's a wholly different world. And this is what we're working and proclaiming as hope in the darkness. This proclamation and action is what Professor Hiran Kim Cragg calls a rehearsal of the kingdom of God. She says, Sunday worship is a sign to the world that even if momentarily a new world has dawned. Hope in the darkness takes practice. Just like a theater production or a weekly choir special, it takes practice. We rehearse and we repeat as if the fullness of the kingdom of God is now. And in doing so, somehow, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we participate in the coming of that kingdom. The repetition of the way we worship bears witness to this. Why do we sing every Sunday? Why do we preach? Why do we pray and read scripture? Why do we repeat regularly the practice of of communion, we're rehearsing the kingdom and rehearsing for the kingdom. This is not just hoping in the darkness, but being hope 
in the darkness. It's not a naive optimism or a cheery denial, but a real embodiment of good news when it feels like there is no good news. This is donning a garment of salvation in the midst of a deluge of disappointment. When he was 39 years old, the poet and writer Christian Wyman was given a rare diagnosis of lymphoma. His doctors said in all likelihood the cancer would kill him in less than five years. That was nearly 20 years ago. It sounds like a miracle story, and it is, but it's a, it's a dark miracle story. Every few years since his diagnosis, Wyman has battled severe bouts with the cancer that should have killed him. But each time there has been a new kind of treatment or an experimental drug that has prolonged his life, given him a few more years, even while being painful and exhausting. He knows what it is to be killed by treatments that are keeping him alive. That's an Advent kind of tension. And his journey of faith has held a similar kind of tension. He recalls returning to church shortly after his diagnosis, after he had abandoned it for many years. He said, that first service was excruciating in that it seems to tear all wounds wide open. And it was profoundly comforting in that it seemed to offer the only possible balm. Through the tension of faith and the tension of surviving, he keeps on writing, speaking, living. His recently published book is subtitled 50 Entries Against Despair. 50 Entries Against Despair. That's what embodied hope in the darkness looks like for him. For us, it may look different, but it's no less embodied when we've been in the darkness, when we have taken time to listen to the strange voices in the darkness, then we can also embody hope in the darkness. It's spoken out loud and quietly enacted. It's in the sacred and in the everyday. It is timeless and grounded, stretched through memory, breath, and death. And it's profoundly felt 
in these kinds of reversals. So every time forgiveness takes a seat at your table where resentment used to sit, there is hope in the darkness. Every time mercy gets the last word instead of violence, every time joy breathes deep through a veil of tears, every time you sink to your knees in prayer instead of fear, every time your child looks into the face of grace when they expected to meet punishment, every time quiet stands resolutely amid a cacophony of distraction, every time justice motivates your actions instead of self-interest, every time generosity opens your wallet instead of greed, every time vulnerability walks into your workplace with the courage of a thousand warriors. Every time you show up for a friend at the end of their rope, at the end of your rope, there is hope in the darkness. Every time confession opens your heart instead of leaving you in shame. Every time you eat the bread and drink the cup, every time you take a Sabbath to be still and know that God is God, there the Spirit of the Lord is on you. There is hope in the darkness. Let us pray. God, let us be still and know your presence and know your hope and let it live through us. In Jesus' name and by your spirit. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.